you're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps dude, a course creator, and an open source maintainer in the world of container and cloud native DevOps. These episodes are edited down audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is made possible by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all of you patrons for your continued support. It means a lot. Your podcast player should have the show notes for this episode, including links to the original show on YouTube, topics or tools we might discuss, how to support this show with Patreon, and links to get discount coupons on all my courses. You can always get those notes and links at brettfisher.com. In this episode, we're all about service mesh. Lee Calcote and Nick Jackson of Layer5.io and the Meshery Project join me and we cover lots of ground in an hour. We talk about what Service Mesh is and why they wrote the Service Mesh Patterns book together. Then we go into the new Meshery extension for Docker Desktop. If you haven't checked out Meshery yet, it's a CNCF sandbox project which does lots of things around service mesh. But one of its bigger features is it helps you try out different service meshes and test them with just a few clicks. And now it's an extension in Docker Desktop. We also cover other features of their tools, including the beta of Mesh Map, which helps you visualize your clusters and apply better practices to your service mesh. It's amazing what Lee and the Layer 5 open source community has built in just a few years. And I hope you enjoy this episode with Lee Calcote and Nick Jackson. Hello, Internet. Welcome to the show. My name is Brett. Let's get to my guests that I'm excited to be here with and get into the topics because we could talk for hours on this. So Sheriff Jackson on Twitter, we've got Nick Jackson, and he is not a sheriff, but today we're going to treat him like one. He's going to he's going to divide Lee and I. I got Lee on the end there, Lee Calcote from, are you still in Austin? Still in Austin. Still in Austin. Can't tell by my, my southern drawl here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and Nick's coming from over the pond. We've got this is the second time this month we've had someone from London. And so I guess it's a theme lately. And I'm glad for us to get busy in this stuff. So let's real quick, let's just have you introduce yourself so people know where you're coming from. Lee on the end there, you're the one that I've known for four or five years as a Docker captain. You started layer five. Tell me a little bit about that real quick. Yeah, we started Layer 5 about two and a half years ago to focus on well, helping people manage cloud-native infrastructure, helping people expect more from their infrastructure. And so, yeah, we've been busy building an open source community and busy building a few different projects. Two of them have landed into the CNCF a year or more ago, went off and did that. So more so just about me briefly, yeah, we spent a lot of time getting to hang out with Brett in a Docker community. Just, yeah, what a fantastic community. I spent a lot of time in, within CNCF land, hard to distinguish the communities anymore. I'm a co-chair of one of the CNCF technical advisory groups, the one that focuses on network. We'll talk about service mesh a bit today. Um, co-authoring a book with Mr. Jackson. And uh, yeah, that, that's my full-time focus is mostly open source work. Nice. I'm putting the link for everyone in a book on service mesh patterns, which is great. I love pattern books, by the way, because a lot of times just teaching the tool doesn't teach us the best ways to use the tool or the different options we have for using it. So patterns are my favorite. Nick, tell us, you got the HashiCorp shirt on, so you're burying the lead there a little bit, but you're from HashiCorp. Tell us about what you do. Well, so 
I work at HashiCorp. I am a developer advocate. My background is software engineering. So I've been working in software engineering from about the time of SneakerNet. So, you know, around about 20, 20 odd, 22, 25, about 25 years. And I worked in software engineering. I've worked from building the sort of the very first websites, then into distributed systems. I would say mostly kind of around e-commerce has been a kind of probably a thing. And then I decided that what I wanted to do was try and take the things that I knew and teach them to other people. And there's this role called developer advocacy, which basically allows you to do that. And which kind of, I love, I get paid to be able to help people and there's no greater reward than that. So, so yeah, that's what I'm kind of, I'm doing Docker. I've been using Docker since like, yeah, dot from, can't remember exactly what year it was, but if you can remember when it didn't used to work very well on the Mac, <laughs> so maybe it's like seven, eight years ago or something like yeah, that. At least. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it worked, you know, don't get me wrong, but the whole reason why I started using Docker was because I wanted a way to be able to run lightweight Linux applications on my Mac without having to use a full-blown VM. And when I came across Docker, I was just like, oh my word, this is the greatest thing in the world. And yeah. I still hold that opinion today. Wonderful, wonderful tool. Yeah. I mean, Lee and I have all those fond memories of being at the Docker cons when everything was new and shiny and the future was bright. And now we're like, oh, we're not done. I'm tired. <laughs> We got all these new tools, which is why we're here today to talk about more layers, more abstractions, which are becoming increasingly important. And Nick, are you involved with the open source of layer five? What are you doing? Are you, are you also a maintainer? I'm just trying to advocate yeah. for yeah, so, the fact I mean, that I, I will, maintainers are real people um, too. <laughs> yeah. So, so Lee and I have known each other for a number of years. I forget how we first met. That's probably the most uncomfortable conversation you ever have to have with your wife, but we're not married. So that's fine. I, yeah, I forget, I forget, but ultimately we work together and predominantly service mesh has kind of been like the key thing. I think we're both big believers in, and this is a technology. And I think from the, the rationale, we've experienced the problems firsthand that service mesh can solve. Yeah. And, and I think when you have that hindsight, it makes it very easy and very clear to see the purpose of service mesh, which I think is actually really difficult for the wider community. When they look at it, they're just like, ah, it's a new tech, it's a new buzzy thing. It's just people trying to sell me stuff. And, uh, and that's not entirely true. So we met and we worked over that. Lee was launching layer five, which obviously supports HashiCorp console. So we've been kind of helping around there. He's just a good buddy of mine as well. So, you know, we can spend hours on the phone just chatting and we're writing a book with O'Reilly together, which is, oh gosh, it's been a, it's a, it's been a challenge. It always seems to be. I spoke to somebody the other day about writing a book and they said, the best thing about writing the book is the day that it's done. And I was just <laughs> like, oh my word, that is so true. <laughs> that is grim. That sounds so grim. But I will tell you that that is the consensus of every, uh, not just O'Reilly, like Manning, obviously any tech writer I know, they're like, yeah, don't quit your day job. And also it takes forever. And yeah, I respect it. It's one of the things that I wish that I had the patience to do. And I just don't know if I can, I will ever be able to do it. Like a blog post for me is super hard. So kudos to you for making it happen. Layer 5 has multiple projects. We could make multiple episodes about all the different things that you do. But I think the thing that we sort of led with, and at least in the marketing and talking to people about, was a theme for this year is Docker extensions. Like I've had two or three shows dedicated to Docker extensions already. It's the new hotness for Docker land and Docker desktop people. And now we have this 
meshery component, which I have I am dumb about. I have not actually installed it yet, and I'm ex I was excited for today's episode because you're going to teach me, and hopefully you're going to walk me a little th through a little bit of it because I want to be on the service mesh bandwagon, not as a fanboy, but as someone who, like you said, once you've implemented it and you understand the value it brings, it that's how I kind of treat things like Argo and Ingress right now. So. I'm hoping that by the end, I'll understand this a little bit better and feel like I have a solid understanding to always implement service mesh, or at least make that a part of my checklist for all future deployments kind of thing. So can you, what's the elevator yeah. pitch here on the Docker extension for meshery? Yeah. Well, by the way, so I'm going to, by the way, this is probably the first phase of what that extension is. That in the first phase, the elevator pitch is meshery helping bring service mesh to your local development environment because you've you know for me it's true like i'm using docker desktop every day i'm using the kubernetes instance inside of docker desktop every day i almost i got i well i have to admit i need to go sign up for a subscription to docker because i'm just i've been writing the free thing for it's just it's i can't believe i just said that on a publicly recorded you know, <laughs> Anyway, yes, uh, well, you're always learning and there's a free learning license. So, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. Well, actually, so Docker is also quite generous to the, well, to layer five's open source projects. So those projects are sponsored on Docker hub. So there's no rate limiting happening with the, the projects that we're doing. There's a, yeah, don't get me started on the singing the praises of Docker. The back to that value proposition is if you're working on whether it's a Compose app or a, a Kubernetes native app, whether you're doing that in a Kubernetes manifest or a Helm chart, Meshery can import those apps, visualize them in your environment, let you configure those. It can deploy your service mesh of choice. So in this way, it complements Docker desktop that brings Kubernetes. So Meshery can bring any service mesh that you would like. There's 10 different adapters for 10 different service meshes. And then with the flick of the switch, like provision a service mesh and ongoing help you manage the life cycle of that service mesh and the workloads that you put on there. So meshery often gets used as a learning tool. Most of the rest of us are still coming to understand what service meshes are or, and how to wield them and how to be confident in how you do that. That's part of the part of why Nick and I are writing the service mesh patterns book is to, you know, promote and suggest these templates that you probably want to start from. I was going to say, maybe Lee as well, maybe it's useful to kind of just give a quick 101 to folks because then they'll understand like, hey, why do I need to run service mesh in my developer environment? And I think that's kind of like a key thing, right? So why is the extension so important? And the reason is that one of the things that service mesh does is service mesh moves things like traditional reliability patterns, traditional observation patterns out of your core application code and it moves them into a data plane or a, a, an externalized proxy. So previously, something simple like a retry, if you need to make an upstream call to another API service, you need to handle the fact that, that might not work because the internet is just a bit flaky. And there's a whole kind of bunch of research on why it's flaky. And, and even Microsoft acknowledged that it's flaky. They, they even wrote a paper around gray failures in cloud environments, you know, based on their own input. But it's, you know, it's just a lot of complex technology. So. Things like retries are incredibly important. You can never assume that something is going to work and you can never assume that it's the upstream that's failing. Right. So retracking. So then you codify that retry and you say, well, Hey, if it doesn't work, I'm going to retry it a couple of times. And I might want to back off like a couple of seconds you know, between tries. Now 
With a service mesh, that thing which is codified alongside your application code, maybe using like a framework like Spring or RunVC or something like that, it doesn't exist there anymore. It exists as an externalized piece of configuration. So it's actually the data plane, which is therefore doing the retries for you. Now, when it comes to observability as well, like basic network observability, how long a network request took, what the status code of it was, like how many bytes were transferred, what are the kind of, you know, the kind of your, your typical P9599 90 latency stuff. All of that as well, you're externalizing by using the, the service mesh as, as the kind of the source for that data. So when you're developing an application, which is based on service mesh, you need to test those things. It's incredibly important that if you're using a retry, you need to test the behavior of a retry as part of your application code. It is, I cannot stress how important it, it, it is. And if you're externalizing that retry, well, then you need the tool which is managing the externalization of that retry, which kind of brings us all back to meshery and being able to just use the Docker extension to be able to install your service mesh of choice super easy with a single click into your, your, do your Docker-based Kubernetes environment, which just kind of makes everybody's life easy, right? And that's dev environments shouldn't be 300 steps to set them up and configure because you just never get anything done. Right. And the, uh, one of the questions I wanted to clear up, does Docker Swarm support Docker extensions? Is there a service mesh that can be used with Docker Swarm? And I want, cause I left the title of this show a little vague and wanted to make sure we clarify up front that, cause there is Docker, there's Compose, there's Swarm, there's Nomad, there's Kubernetes, mm -hmm. there's ECS, there's all these different orchestrators or ways to run containers. And when we talk about service mesh, are we just talking about an implementation of service mesh for Kubernetes or are there other orchestrators or container runtimes that can support a service mesh? I don't actually know. Yeah. Well, so service mesh support is supported across a number of different runtimes. So, I mean, I, I'm speaking specifically for a console. Console will run on Kubernetes. It'll run on Nomad. You can run it as a first class citizen in ECS, virtual machines, and you could make it work inside of Docker Swarm. I don't know if we have a sort of an out of the box implementation around this, but in principle, which kind of, I suppose, answers another question around how the mesh communication works is what happens is you have the data plane and the data plane kind of sits in front of all the traffic in and out of your application service. So Docker itself supports the concept of sidecar. And generally this is kind of the way that the data plane will work, that the data plane's in intercepting all of the traffic for your main application and acting as kind of like a, a gateway for ingress and egress, which is how it can do all of the reliability and all of the observability. So in order to make service mesh work with something like Docker Swarm, the reality is all you need to do is to inject a, an Envoy proxy sidecar alongside your main sort of application container. And, uh, and you know, just make sure it's configured up to the control plane, which is kind of like your, your thing, which is kind of managing all of the configuration. Yeah. So whether it does right now, I couldn't hundred percent say, but I would be sure as darn it that you could make it work quite easily. It would just right. be a matter of, you know, authoring the, the correct configuration. Yeah. And I think, tell me if I'm wrong, service mesh to me seems like a series of technologies or features that are all independently deployable 
already. Like a lot of these things already existed before we had service mesh. The ideas of mutual TLS or the ideas of a separate network for your traffic or proxies on everything, proxies all the way down, kind of like turtles all the way down. And I feel like service mesh is really just a generic term for us bring bundling a bunch of these existing technologies that were even predating Docker, but we're bringing them together with this controller idea of a, an automated way of solving a lot of your data plane problems that a distributed apps tend to have. Does that sound like anything close to what you're thinking of? Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I mean, I mean, ultimately all service mesh is a software defined network and uh, it just kind of pulls together all of the techniques that, that people have been using for years and the kind of the patterns, but it, I think it amalgamates them into a piece of software, which kind of does all of the heavy lifting and the management for you. I mean, it's the way that I look at platform engineering at the moment. Platform engineering is like the latest, biggest thing in software engineering. Everybody is doing platform engineering. That shouldn't be a thing. People should just use a piece of software, which is a platform. And in some ways I look at like, when you look at things like Pivotal Cloud, Foundry and PCF and stuff like that, and you look at where we are today, it feels like we've regressed a decade in the way that we're building applications and systems by re-engineering platforms ourselves. So yeah, there's also that problem. A lot of us are also hobbyists. Like we got into this because we're passionate about technology and then we end up we want to play with things and then eventually we justify the reason for needing to implement it, even though we really probably didn't need it to begin with. So there, I suffer from that too of, did I really need to implement that? Could I have just done a different, an easier way? Well, you know, I think curiosity is one of the greatest things that a software engineer can have. And I would take a, a curious software engineer sure. to play with all of the latest and greatest technologies any day of the week over somebody who just kind of wants to follow the trend because you got to push the boundaries. And I think this is the key thing. I mean, I, I'm flippant about platform engineering, but the reason that people are doing it is because the technology doesn't really exist. It's suitable and fit for purpose right now. And it was the same with service mesh and sort of the, the, the capability for doing the sort of the reliability and observability and security around distributed systems. I mean, you, you mentioned MTLS, but just as a really sort of simple thing, just putting X509 certificates, even not MTLS, Right. Even just TLS right. to all of your endpoints and all of your services is no mean feat. Even if you're using a tool like, like Vault or something like that, which will generate the certs for you. And it's still not, it's still not an easy process. You know, you've got to manage the rotation. You've got to kind of manage the, the private keys and the sort of the signing processes and things like that. It can be an incredibly challenging thing for people to do. So when you start to look at something like a service mesh, you get that for free. Like you don't even need to think about it. It just happens. So it's yeah. if for nothing else that you're only using service mesh to, to be able to do TLS encryption on your network and mutual TNS, TLS identification between your service calls. then I think that's the, one of, one of the big reasons to, to use it. That's an interesting point too. So we're talking about a suite of features that any one of them might be hard for an individual to implement manually. I mean, we've all been around long enough in tech to know. To, to be in that job where the TLS certificate public one expired and nobody knew about the rotation and suddenly you're embarrassed because your main website gives people a warning and scares them. We've all been there because this is a recent problem actually that we've basically solved with a lot of these technologies and it required levels on the stack even just to automate that beyond the service mesh. So it is, for those that are still struggling with that, we have technically, I feel like, came up with enough solutions now, we're maybe a decade into sort of the let's encrypt auto TLS sort of approach, or at least even managed TLS approach of just managing the certificates and their renewals. And I feel like there's still people that are still doing it manually. 
And every once in a while, I'll meet mm. one of those people. And I feel sorry for them. So I'm like, hey, did you get the news? We solved this problem. You don't have to do and that anymore. Just, you know, it's difficult as well. And I think the cool kind of premise around why. So, I mean, you look at TLS certificates and you could just say, well, hey, I'm just going to issue a 20 year certificate. And that's the way we used to do it. We would basically just choose a certificate, which was as long as you could possibly find. But the issue around that is that, well, if you're using a really long lived certificate, like what if that leaks? Somebody can yeah. masquerade as your website or your application service. And TLS certificates are actually really difficult to, to, to revoke. I mean, TLS revocation lists, which is the kind of the mechanism to say that this certificate, although it hasn't expired, should no longer be like considered safe. Trusted. Yeah. It's not an easy process. So a much easier way to kind of do it is just to use short TTLs, short time to lives on your certificates. And then that way, sure, you can still use revocation lists, but if you're only using like a time to live of 24 hours or something, and you've got a really good automatic rotation process then, you know, that's the way to go. And then a huge shout out to Let's Encrypt because Let's Encrypt absolutely were blazing the way around being able to en yep. enable people in an automated way to, to, to secure the internet. And I think as an analogy, you can look at maybe service mesh or the TLS part of service mesh is Let's Encrypt, but for your internal services. So Let's Encrypt is obviously just publicly verifiable. And of course, this is just one, we're talking about one topic inside this world of service mesh. And I... Being a sysadmin, having to run infrastructure for so many years, a lot of the features of service mesh to me are things that often would just get, like you were saying, would get opted out of a project because we didn't have the time or resources to even consider that, right? I always joke about monitoring observability, what do you want to call it? That and documentation are the first things to get dropped from any new project. And I've seen it time and time again, where budgets, time, we run over time, we run over budget. What can we drop from the project? Well, we don't necessarily have the best monitoring of observability. TLS automated renewal, like all the, especially automation, right? Automation, day two stuff. That's the stuff that kind of gets, that falls off of projects because it's not required on day one. We will just deal with it later and then we never do. And yeah. I love these ideas. I mean, this is the reason why we have containers today because Docker mm -hmm. solved a problem that was previously, we could, you could do it. You just had to be a guru and have a team of people. And oh. now we all type a single command and it all just magically happens. And well, I mean, if you look at the concept of Docker, right? I mean, one of the, one of the kind of the major benefits of Docker from a security perspective is that you had, it wasn't that it wasn't possible to do immutable with your applications before Docker. It's just that it was really difficult. Now with Docker, because you've got this very narrowly scoped container, which contains only the software in it you need by default, it is secure. Well, not by default, but you know, like it, it is more secure. And then in terms of the, when you think about the immutability, you need to update something. You don't patch it. You're not like, you know, you're not layering different patches on or things like that and things like that. You, you just replace the container. So when there was issues around Heartbleed and the other sort of SSL issues, which were affecting virtual machines, you weren't immune from that with your Docker containers, but it was certainly easier to kind of, to solve the problem. And I think you know, like service mesh and all of the capabilities that it brings is in very much a similar vein. It's not, you know, it's nothing that it's revolutionizing the world and what it can do. It just brings everything together and makes it a whole load easier for you. And to your point, it enables you to do the things that you know you should be doing, but you don't have time to do. Yeah. yeah. And the Docker extension for Meshery is getting us even closer to that, right? Because so if people out there don't know extensions, pref let's just establish that up front. Extensions allow you to add plugins to Docker desktop, just like you would add 
extensions on VS Code or any other tool that has plugins or extensions. And these are all free, right? These are all included with Docker Desktop out of the box. There's a bunch of buttons in your desktop dashboard GUI. To add a little bit of flavor to what you guys were talking about, the, the purpose oh, yeah. for service. Nick is, Nick had said, hey, it's like SDN, like a next-gen SDN that, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why you have a, you could have rolled your own Docker or a container orchestrator, but there's a couple of them out there that are pre-built, HashiCorp Nomad, Swarm, Kubernetes. You don't need to necessarily do that. And the same thing goes for these concerns around distributed systems of the fact that these containers are speaking to one another, or they're speaking to external services, or they shouldn't be speaking to external services. There's just a collection of distributed systems concerns that you can address through a common layer. Like it's a layer that there's no doubt that all of us will get to at some point. All of us have gotten to, or the overwhelming majority of us have gotten to containers. And then we're successful with that. We get into some orchestration. We're successful with that. Things get more complex. We get into this next layer. Yeah, that's in part what this Meshery extension is well intended to do is to help it, it, actually, Meshery was initially born out of this, like out of helping people learn, out of uh, answering yeah. the question around, what are they? How do they work? What's the difference? Which one should I use? I can tell you that we're about to, from with my CNCF hat on, we're about to announce that Istio is a CNCF project. It isn't today, but will become one. And that'll make for five service meshes just in the CNCF. There are a bunch of other ones external. And there's a reason why, I mean, yeah, anyway, let me not philosophize with you about why there are so many and what the differences that they do. Rather, let's do what Brett had said, introduce people to this extension so you can figure it out yourself. You can kind of play with them, answer that question yourself. So one of the nice things, by the way, as an artifact of Docker having created this extension marketplace is it's super easy to install a bunch of different types of software, including like Meshery. It's like the easiest way to install Meshery. And it won't let you mess up. Installing extensions are really easy. Most of you have probably done it. You can do it in Docker Desktop, or you can do it via CLI, Docker CLI. For Meshery as an extension... We actually haven't really talked about Meshery and like maybe we can talk about it outside the scope of Docker Desktop's implementation of it. But Nick, can you run us through a couple of the things that I would use Meshery locally for? Yeah, I mean, I think sort of Lee touched on some of them. The kind of the one of them is it allows you to try and kind of poke around with different service meshes. Because I think for the most part, service mesh all, I would say the differentiator between a lot of the service meshes, it's predominantly the user experience. Ultimately, they're all trying to do the same thing. It's all securing your connections with MTLS, it's your reliability patterns and your observability. There are various different sort of patterns of operation. I mean, if you look at, I mean, Liz was on, I guess, Liz was talking about sort of isovalent, Cilium and things like that. And, you know, Cilium kind of uses a, an eBPF based model, which does some stuff in the kernel, some stuff in the sidecar. Istio is kind of launched the ambient approach, which is kind of, again, a, a sort of a hybrid by my kind of current opinion is to, to the end user, you know, that shouldn't really matter. It's more about the user experience, how, you know, that the, I say I'm not putting aside the performance or the whatever of those sort of different capabilities, but it, you know, it's the end user, like you, you want to, what does the configuration look like? Is it easy to use? Is it understandable? And I think Meshery gives you the capability to kind of go through and investigate all of those things. Because I mean, I would say that pretty much every service mesh that's on the market is going to be production ready. Everybody's going to be able to deliver you 
the observability, the security, the reliability that you need. Some different capabilities around testing different environments, multi-cluster, et cetera. And Meshery allows you to kind of do all of those things and just kind of kick the tires. And, and in addition to that, what Meshery allows you to do is it's, there's the mesh map, which is in beta or beta. And what mesh map does is it kind of gives you a visual configuration of how do you play around and configure a retry? Because I always look at the, I use the CLI a lot and I'm really comfortable with that. There are people who aren't, there, there are folks who it's just not accessible to run a thousand different commands to be able to get something to work. And whilst I wouldn't necessarily advocate click ops as kind of a production methodology, you know, it's great for experimentation and then in some ways it can be faster. So mesh map allows you to kind of, well, firstly, it allows you to visualize all of your services and your patterns. So whether you're doing click ops or not, that's, that's incredible. You can see the connections that your service is making, you can see the reliability patterns that it is using and all of those other things. And that's not just a local desktop level. You can run that as a production concern as well. As you head into Meshery, there's a dashboard. It's meant to be more than a service mesh manager. So it's a cloud native manager. It'll connect to Prometheus and Grafana and show you a lot of statistics about what's going on. If you've got Grafana charts, it'll import those and help you take advantage of the investment that you already have there. It'll, depending upon whether or not you connect up different Meshery adapters to different service meshes, Meshery will go quite deep on each of these meshes. It'll also, like it's a multi-mesh or multi-Kubernetes cluster manager. So it will deploy the Meshery operator to each cluster that you connect to. It'll run Mesh Sync. There's a lot of portmanteaus in the naming of our products, but or the projects, it'll run mesh sync. It'll discover your existing environment. So you can use Meshery to provision service meshes or discover them. The reality is there's a lot to be done with Meshery without running a service mesh. You can import different applications, whether that's a Docker Compose app and bring that into Kubernetes, Helm charts, your Kubernetes manifests. You can create your own designs as well. So the patterns that Nick and I are writing about in the service mesh patterns book, you can use this design configurator to, to let's say that you want to configure console service mesh and you want to take advantage of the fact that there's um, a service splitter and you can configure it visually and kind of fill in how you want it configured and you'll see the YAML being built out for that configuration. You can take and deploy those designs sort of touching your YAML if you want to what each of you, you know, to what you guys were just talking about is mesh map and it's it allows you to still touch the YAML if you want to. As a matter of fact, it's Git integrated, so it'll integrate into your GitOps pipeline. There's two GitHub actions out there. Just as a kind of a segue, I think Kelsey Hightower a couple of years ago was kind of joking around with the whole no code thing, but Kelsey Hightower doesn't, you know, he's not just playing the fool. He has a, he's having some fun, but he's got a very real kind of premise to what he's talking about there. And, and ultimately it's a real thing. Like, some people just don't want to, don't have the skills to be able to kind of, to do editing YAML files or whatever. So being able to have a visual designer, which can follow the same patterns and practices, which gives you the kind of the Git flow approach of being able to do merging, code reviewing, and revisions and reversions and things like that is, uh, is super cool. Like that, that enables a, a huge spectrum of users in your system. I'm stoked. That's totally. Yeah. You know, the nice thing is there's a lot of open source contributors that, that come by, get involved, 
the vast majority of them say, hey, so what's a service mesh? And some of them really get into that, but a lot of them um, maybe stop at Kubernetes or a lot of the contributors combined, they don't know Kubernetes either, but they do know that they'd like to understand it better and that seeing it visually and having context for what's really going on is, yeah, is eye-opening. There is so much to say about the features within this project. I am almost one of the worst at trying to tell people this. There's, if you're doing a design and you're trying to adhere to one of the service mesh patterns or just whether it's a service mesh or not, you can import them and kind of verify your design, validate it. Does it have issues where maybe you didn't specify the Docker image that you're supposed to use? Well, then you'll end up with a validation issue. And so before you deploy, it wants to make sure that you're successful. You can deploy these designs to one or more clusters, and it just makes it a single click action to get up and going with any of the service meshes. And there's a couple of different ways to manage the life cycle of any of these service meshes. The one that's the most compelling into what Nick was saying about just level of comprehension and understanding of what's going on is this visual designer for and dragging and dropping. You can, you can go to your mesh of choice, go to the version of choice you want to work with, bring in those components, connect them up. Ultimately, there'll be kind of workflow and policy that you can configure, a bit of the GitOps integration that we were just referring to. And there's a catalog of extensions coming forth. Rather, the designs that you do, you're welcome to download them, export them, share them in the Meshery catalog. The Meshery catalog's on the meshery.io website. So it's like meshery.io slash catalog. And some people have started to share some of their designs. Yeah, th those could be WebAssembly filters. Like they could in the future, they, those could be eBPF programs. Meshery doesn't support those yet. But yeah, it's intended to be. It got its start and focus on service mesh, but it is usable if you only have Kubernetes. As a matter of fact, it's usable if you don't have Kubernetes. We haven't really talked about Meshery's performance management capabilities which is to say that you can do load generation and test out the performance of your environment by using one of Meshery's internal load generators. And that's super important as well. I mean, anybody who runs a production system should be doing performance and, and load testing around. It's also something that's quite difficult to set up and the reproducibility of those tests can be a challenge to manage. So that's pretty sick to have that built in there. Yeah. With the people I work, I work with three or four different clients a year, and I have yet to have one actually implement performance testing as a part of their, you want, what you want to call it, your CI, CD workflow or what, you know, they certainly don't have it automated. If they ever do it, it's a manual effort. It's someone's job for like a month. And then they usually come away with notes, right? We need yeah. to improve this, this, and this. And then there's no more testing because the testing is so arduous. It just doesn't happen very often. And it's a special, unique event. I didn't actually know this was the thing in here in terms of having a GUI as well that will help me along the way because performance testing is an art, right? And it's an art that a lot of developers don't get to, it's not mandated that they test their own stuff for performance as long as, yeah. they, like I think there's that saying, you don't have a performance problem until you have a performance problem. And so yeah. we all write software, it's sufficient enough, everyone's happy, and then suddenly one day we have a, a problem and we have no idea how to troubleshoot it because we've never had to. We've never had to at least do benchmarking or, you know, any of that sort of stuff. And it's in building more than a simple website. It can, like you're saying, it can get pretty complicated, pretty quick. So this is neat. Yeah. And I think it doesn't make sense to over-optimize. I mean, if your average requests is say a hundred thousand, it really doesn't 
make sense to build a system that'll support 10 million because the complexity involved in doing so is exponentially larger than what it is to kind of support, you know, you've got different, you start running into things like, well, one layer of caching is not good enough anymore. You know, I've got to use multiple layers of caching. I've got to use localized in memory caching. I've got to use something like Redis maybe, or or memcache is on a kind of like a cluster level. And then like, I've got my database as well, and maybe multiple databases because I'm doing mirroring. So, you know, all of those problems kind of manifest themselves with scale, but it's super important because I don't know if Black Friday is still a thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cyber Monday, Black Friday. Yeah. Yeah. We got to work any common. Yeah. We're going to have that exception day. Yeah. Yeah. And we used to do Black Friday testing. And I guarantee you, over the course of the year, the system would work perfectly. We'd start to do the Black Friday testing about a month before, and the system we knew would not be able to hit the load. And then you would end up spending basically a month going around cleaning up code and kind of going through and kind of making performance modifications and stuff like that, and trying to find the previous year's test, previous year's information to be able to do a compare and comparison to kind of look at where the Things are always very similar and it was just really difficult. And should we have done that as an ongoing process? Yes. Did we? Well, no, because we were just constantly under the pressure to. Right. If yeah. And the tooling link just wasn't there. There was yeah. no tooling to be able to easily do it. So stuff's dope. So, all right, let's recap. Install the Meshery extension for Docker desktop. Now you have to have, do you have, have to have a Kubernetes enabled in order to use it? You'll want to. No, you don't. That's a great question. That's actually what I was trying to say about the performance testing that it will do. You can install Meshery without Kubernetes and you can run those performance tests as many as you want to against services that aren't on Kubernetes and services that aren't running in context of a service mesh. And so, but yeah, if you, and then from there, if you want to manage clusters and things, then yeah, you start to install and connect up your, whether you're connecting it to your local Kubernetes environment or to a remote one. Yeah, Meshery helps. You know, we haven't done scalability testing on Meshery to see how many clusters it could potentially take at a time. Well, we're coming close to the end. So I'm going to, I think that if you're new to service mesh, it sounds like Meshery is the right way to go because it allows you to explore, learn, play around and not have to invest five hours into just how to install each one of them. I love the toggle of just, like I'm just turning on Traffic Mesh. I'm just turning on Istio. And I want to mention some other stuff because these two gentlemen are, they're, they're all over the place. Like basically there's a lot going on. They've got a book. They've got the Meshery thing. They've got the other layer five tools. They've got MeshMap, which is in beta, which is a part, you can get that in Meshery, right? Like once you turn on Meshery for Docker Desktop, you can get that out of the box. Go to their website for their community stuff, because I know that there's, it sounds like there's a solid growing community behind this with so many people investing in your open source, which is great. That's a really good sign of a healthy, you know, open source ecosystem there. Nick's got other stuff over on his channel on YouTube. You can check out his microservices channel on YouTube. Sounds like he's helping solve some people's problems there. And then there's this other project, which I was, I feel like it should just be its own show and we need to have you come back, but which is not directly related to Meshery is Shipyard. So what's the elevator pitch really quick on this thing? So basically it was running local demo stacks. So you need to install Kubernetes, you need to install Prometheus, Grafana, and a bunch of application stuff. And well, there's also generally a bunch of configuration that you need to do around there as well. You need to generate TLS certificates, so you need to do stuff. So I kind of look at it as 
Docker Compose on steroids for some respect, or if anybody's familiar with Terraform, if Docker Compose and Terraform had had a child, Shipyard would be that child because the project is directly, I make no, no sort of, uh, I basically stole the best ideas out of both of those and try to merge those together. So you've got the, the capability in Shipyard that everything is dependency related. So you can spin up one container before you spin up another. You can execute a bash script or something to do some things before you, you maybe spin up a container or you can spin up a database, you can provision the data into it, and then you may sort of spin up your application. So like some of those things which are possible with Docker Compose, but you end up doing like a bunch of dirty hacks with bash scripts and stuff like that. Well, yeah. Shipyard just tries to make that easier and distributable as well. I mean, you've got, you know, if you want to run a, a Kube cluster or a Nomad cluster or something, it's just a simple abstraction. So it's something that I use for all my demos. It's something that I wrote specifically for that. And it's not really something that I've ever shared because even though I use it every day and maintain it as well, just I've never had the time because yeah. of all of the other things going on. So this is probably one of the first times I've actually ever talked about this publicly. I think, I mean, the fact that you do a lot of demos, I mean, that, that's dev real life. Uh, we could probably have an entire show because we're all getting back into conferences now. So those of us that do demos for a living are, not, are now having to actually do them on stage again, which is all new. But I recently just did some work on my CLI because you spend so much time demoing from the command line. And I'm looking at this screen and it's reminding me that I have kind of revamped uh, basically how I configure my shell. Because if, if you do demos nice. on stage, if you do demos in a course, which with so many students in my courses, I've people have watched the same videos over and over. And early on, I made the mistake of making my shell really fancy and people get distracted on exactly how, like they're looking at all the stuff that you're doing and you're like, wait, how's that command completion working? Wait, where's his colors coming yeah. from? Is that true color? Oh, he's got italics oh, and Vim. Like, yeah, <laughs> all this huge difference. It does, like but people get distracted, right? So I've yeah. learned like you're, you're just reminding me of like, you want to keep your, you want a little bit of magic in your demos. You don't want to take all the work, put all this work into it. But at the same time, I've learned to simplify down. So I've always had some sort of mechanism to get a present shell where I just type a command as alias to something else. And it basically dumbs everything down in my console. So it sounds like I need to look invest into Shipyard for s deploying and setting up my demos so that I don't have to spend so much time. And then if you just... A, a, Shameless plug here. If you check out my shell URL here, I get uh, so many questions from it. Like, hey, why, how did you get it to look like that or do that thing? And those of us that have spent 20 years in a shell, 30 years in a shell, it's a lot. There's a lot going on usually if you're someone who gets into this stuff. So I have lots of links, including custom prompts that you can make to dumb your own shell down. If you want the Docker logo or the Kubernetes logo in your shell prompt, like we can do all that. So anyway, it reminded me of that because one, this little demo is beautiful and it looks like you're using Starship, right? In there, which we talk about. Yeah, I, I use that. I think we've mentioned it several times on this show recently because people ask a lot like, ooh, how'd you get all that cool stuff? stuff in your shell starship it's pretty great yeah you should check it out built in 100%. rust so we've been all over the board this hour but that's kind of the way it goes right all of us are all of us are doing so many things so everyone get the links below to the book to that they're working on is it's not released yet or what is what's the status of the book oh gosh that's a thing uh, and you, did you just hear our editors rolling their eyes like <laughs> it's been a, it's been a bit of a i, I mean i'm joke but it's been a when we started doing things, it was kind of pre-COVID and everything was kind of, it was perfect. There was no problems anywhere. And then kind of just COVID hit and it's just been so, so difficult. And now things are, Lee's business is obviously 
really ramping up. I'm pretty busy back in, in conference season. We really don't have that much more to do. And it's just kind of <laughs> trying to get things over the final hurdle. But yeah, like my approach on this is that I would, I'd rather do it right than do it fast. I mean, less of a, and I know that's probably not what O'Reilly wants to hear. And I don't mean that like, but, but what I mean is that if I, if my head's not right in it, I'm not going to write as well as I can. So we hope that we'll be finished our draft by the end of this year and that we'll be kind of looking at publishing sometime next year. All right. Are I mean, there like sections, are there like early access sections or anything? Yeah, like that? There's, a, yeah. there's a couple of early access chapters on O'Reilly.com and you can kind of read through there. We've got some, I think, canary deployments. We've got retries. So what we're trying to do with the book is we're, you know, like you look at a retry and you're just like, hey, a retry is super simple, right? I mean, I think that the key thing around this is unless you really understand the pattern, like when people sort of describe a retry, they very much describe a sort of the high level function, which is if something doesn't work, retry it. Right. The nuances around the pattern are not necessarily so well described. So if you're brand new to something, then you sort of might not think about these things. You might not think about, well, actually a retry could be detrimental. Like, how do you test a retry? What is a, an appropriate number of retries? How do you kind of like right. calculate? Is it more than a for each loop times five? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was slightly, you know, like, like item potency and things like that. Should you retry posts requests? Well, yeah. like, <laughs> right. if you're, yeah, I mean, I think it, it depends, right? And I think all of these things, and I'm using retry as an example, we, we cover a lot of the patterns. We look at them, how they're very specific to service mesh. So we're looking at the depth of MTLS and things like that, how it actually functions, the, the various different patterns around how a service mesh operates, because it is important to understand from a mechanical sympathy, how your system works, because when you need to debug it, you need to understand where the traffic's flowing from and potentially what could go wrong and where. It's been a real enjoyable process. I mean, this is, this is my second book, so. I should have learned my lesson from the first time. These on like, I think it's your, your 30 or fourth or something. So you really should have learned. So you're yeah. really looking at two people who don't understand how to learn a lesson. I'm still married too, which is like, that's the unbelievable part. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess there's a saying I like to say, if you want to learn something, have to teach it. Like that'll force you to really learn it. Cause I think a lot of us, we don't want to look dumb. So then we overcompensate by learning every possible thing before we teach it. And I definitely am that way where I hesitate to talk about a topic that I don't know really in depth and I always feel insecure. It, you know, imposter syndrome is yeah. real and we all got, a, we've all yeah. probably got a little bit cool. of it. Um, so like shout out, shout out to you there, Brett. I mean, but realistically, when people are looking at a lot of online courses and online materials and they're like, oh, this is good stuff. They don't, I don't think they truly appreciate just how much hard work goes in behind the scenes because to your point there. You're going through stuff and you're going, well, I know how to do this. Why does this actually do this? Like, why does this work? I've kind of forgotten this along the line. So the effort that you have to put in to be able to kind of look into all of those tiny little details and to be able to kind of tease them out and to be able to put them in a way that's understandable. And the easiest way to do that is to be able to do it so that you can yourself understand it is a huge amount of effort. So yeah. like, you know, kudos to you for doing that with your courses and your materials. And, yeah. uh, and thank you to, for the book. It sounds like you're doing that in the book. So, and this all comes out in your work, right? Like you, you're implementing a feature in service mesh, meshery, mesh map, all the things. And it is, what is there saying? Like uh, how you do one thing is how you do all things. So if you're someone who's detail oriented and you dive deep in just writing some chapters of a book, you're probably doing the same thing in your daily job. You're probably doing the same thing in your software code. 
And I really appreciate that sort of thoughtful approach to coding. I mean, we're now in a world where we are not lacking for tools. It is a question of which tool, which tool works for you and, you know, which one is really thoughtful and approaches these things in a, in a more holistic way. And it sounds like you guys are doing that. And congrats, by the way, to Lee, like you mentioned, and Layer 5 for growing that company. And I did not realize all the things that were happening. So that's really cool. And I'm definitely going to spend some more time looking into it. Fantastic community as well. A big shout out to the Layer 5 community. There's some absolutely wonderful, wonderful people. Some of the nicest people that you will meet in technology. So get on the Layer 5 Slack. If you're uh, looking for a, a project, a CNCF project, and you want to start contributing and start learning something, raise your profile, maybe get into Meshery. Folk are so helpful, so happy to help you and get, get you onboarded. And you'll learn a bunch as well as you know, learning from people and, and stuff like that. So yeah, wonderful community. To, to your, to both of your points, actually, some of it's, some of that learning, co-learning is a bit selfish. Because every other person in the community that's trying to help the other person, they are inevitably just, they just start learning together. It has been, oh, it's almost killed me. I'm trying to help make sure that those that join understand like, hey, the culture here is what Brett said. We all have imposter syndrome. I learn something new every day. I just learned that, hey, maybe I shouldn't be running three different Kubernetes clusters and try to give a demo where you, yeah. and so, but yeah, it, one of the things that I'm not fortunate to be able to rep help represent a lot of the work. There's 300 people who've made the layer5.io website, just that website. So that, that's awesome. Much less like Meshery and the, like it's open source through and through. Uh, people come by and it, as it turns out, it, we do lots of internships. One of the internships that we do for Meshery, it's the number one most popular internship for the Linux Foundation, not just the CNCF, I mean, for the entire Linux Foundation. Which is, uh, yeah, which I think speaks volumes to wanting to learn together, so. Yeah, well, thank you again, both of you for being here. The, all this stuff can get at layer5.io, right? That's the, yeah. that's like the main way to lead into all this stuff, the book, the Docker extension plugin, or you can just go in your Docker desktop right now and add the extension and get started. And I'm looking forward to doing that myself. So thanks again. We talked about their book is below. My course links for coupons are below. The Discord community I run, the community that they run, all the links are in the description. So find all that stuff down there. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, all. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.